<laughs> and thank you to Pastor Andy. <clears throat> I marvel at, at how Pastor Andy knows all of these songs. You can't stump him on any of these. Uh, I didn't know the tune to stand up. I know I've heard it maybe once or twice before. He just goes on. I mean, he knows every song in the book. It's amazing. Well, let's go ahead and turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 6. In our study of Proverbs, we have been especially looking at, uh, in the last couple of weeks, some practical advice for the way that we live our lives. And tonight, I want to bring to you a few admonitions against idleness. This is a growing problem in our society, and sometimes we look at a certain group of people and we draw conclusions, but this goes, uh, we need to understand that this is across the board. It just seems like hard work is no longer valued like it once was. And it's something that we need to be reminded of ourselves, and it's something that we need to teach our children as well, because they're not going to hear it like they once did. The Protestant work ethic is no longer encouraged as it once was. In fact, in some quarters, believe it or not, it is discouraged. And that's a real shame. It's almost as if if you work hard, you're trying to show someone else up. And the other people there on the job who are not working hard will actually target you. And um, it's an area where we need God's wisdom. And we don't need to just say, well, you know, that was a, from a bygone era. There's a stronger foundation than that. There's actually a foundation in Scripture for hard work and for labor because God tells us to, uh, to labor honestly with our hands. And so in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6, the Bible says this, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat or her food in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us such practical instruction for our everyday lives. Help us to see that your word was meant to be put into action each day, that it is relevant, and even though it is many times countercultural, help us to obey you. We thank you, Lord, for this teaching tonight, and we pray that you would now enlighten and illuminate our minds to this truth. Help us to apply these principles to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
There are abundant examples of hardworking individuals who have made their mark in life. And probably all of us in here are aware of Michael Jordan. He's one of those figures that, whether or not you're a basketball fan, you still know about Michael Jordan. And, of course, he was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And from the time he was very young, it was very, very clear that he had physical gifts. But his longtime coach, Phil Jackson, says this. He says it was hard work that made him a legend. When Jordan first entered the league, his jump shot wasn't good enough. Can you imagine that? So he spent his offseason taking hundreds of jumpers a day until it was perfect. His coach, Phil Jackson, <clears throat> writes that Jordan's defining characteristic wasn't his talent, but it was having the humility to know that he had to work constantly to be the best. Don't you like how that's worded? It takes humility to know that I've got to put in work. It's not just natural talent that is going to get me through. I don't know Jordan's spiritual state, but I do know that spiritually we can learn a lot from this. It takes a great amount of humility for all of us to understand that we need to work hard and we need to practice, we need to get better. We are never a finished product. And that goes for our spiritual lives in so many ways. Thomas Edison was one of the greatest inventors of all time. He was without a doubt one of the most productive. But he had very, very little formal education. It was his intense curiosity and <clears throat> his unusual diligence that fueled his productivity. He was awarded 2,332 patents, the third most of any American. And many of those continue to affect our lives today. The electric generator, the fuel cell, the storage battery, motion pictures, of course, the light bulb. His legendary work ethic, though, was the result of perseverance in the face of continued failure. That's an aspect of his life that we don't often hear, but the man failed over and over and over again. But he didn't let that stop him, and that was the secret of his success. For instance, he performed 50,000 experiments to invent the alkaline storage cell. Think about how much determination that takes. And 10,000 experiments to perfect the light bulb. He failed over and over and over again before he found success. In fact, he once said that most people fail and what they don't realize was that they were just on the cusp of success. Many times that's what separates a failure from a successful person. It's not necessarily talent or ability or intellect, but it's the fact that some people just keep at it. They are diligent. As Christians, God has called us to be diligent in our labors. And so I want to give you some verses just before we get into this passage. 
on what the Bible says about diligence. These are verses that we need to share with our children and with our grandchildren. We need them ourselves at any age. We need to stay busy for the Lord. And I'm not promoting a workaholic lifestyle by any means. Work can become a god and it can become an idol, just like anything else. And it can dominate our lives to the exclusion of God if we're not careful. And we have to be careful of that as well. But what we're talking about here is being diligent in the task to which God has called us. Colossians 3 and verse 23, if you would turn there with me tonight. Colossians 3 and verse 23. Here is Paul's admonition in Colossians 3. He says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, that is, from the heart sincerely, as to the Lord and not unto men. So we're not working just when people are watching us, just when there is the hint of reward or acclaim or recognition. But whether anyone is watching or not, we are working hard and we are working diligently. And the reason we can do this is because we know that our ultimate master, our ultimate Lord, is Jesus himself. In verse 24, knowing, Paul says, that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. All of us in here have an employer, and that employer is God himself, not just the person that he has set over us. And we need to remember that he is our ultimate authority and he has called us to do our best in everything. Here's another passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Boy, this is a great passage. <clears throat> Excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And verse 10, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Paul knew about hard work. He was a tent maker. He says in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he, what? Eat. If a man or a woman for that matter, if a man is able-bodied, then he should work if he wants food and if he wants sustenance. And by the way, Paul is writing to Christians. He's not writing to unsaved people. But they, these were Christians who were being idle and who were not working. And just like I told you before, he himself was the example. If you go back up to verse 8, he, he says, Neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing. In other words, we didn't um, just live off of, of other people. We were not parasites, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. 
And the reason in verse 9, he says, is we wanted to be an example to you. And in verse 11, he says this, the reason for the instruction, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. They're walking out of rank, not according to the instructions of the apostle. So in this particular church, and there are different reasons for this, Perhaps some were expecting the coming of the Lord. You know, there's a reason that people have for not working. Some of them are legitimate and some of them are not. But it seems that this was a problem in this church and Paul had to give this admonition. And some just ignored it. And they just refused to work even though they were able. And so they were walking out of step. And Paul explains that in the next phrase, working not at all but are busybodies. So <clears throat> here's the thing. If you don't work, you've got a lot of spare time on your hands. And that means that you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. That's one of the reasons why we should stay busy. Now, there are two things that I want to point out here. And that is, first of all, people are really confused on this issue. They think that if you tell a person to work, to engage in honest labor, that somehow that's a lack of compassion. And it's not. Human labor, human work has dignity. And to deny a person that actually is a lack of compassion. And so when you just give people things, and you don't hold them accountable, then you are enabling them to keep up this pattern of life. And it especially becomes pro problematic as that person, you know, we're talking about an adult. We're not talking about someone <clears throat> who, was, who was a child or, or not able to, just not able to provide for themselves. Of course, we as God's people need to step up and we need to have compassion upon the needy. And we need to provide. If someone loses his job, we need to be there to help. If someone loses her job, we need to be there to help. And so our hearts are not closed to people. But what we're talking about here are just people who refuse to work. They could, but they don't. And... The Bible says, Paul says, that you are to require that person to work and to earn a living. And if he doesn't, then he doesn't eat. Here's another thing that happens in verse 11, and that is that as people are idle, they get into trouble. And you know the old saying, an, idol's mind, or an idle mind is the devil's workshop. There is nothing truer. So one of the reasons why we stay diligent and, and, and busy, this doesn't mean now that, we're, that this is going to eradicate sin by any means, but it does help us to stay out of a lot of trouble. And so Paul says this in verse 12, Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. It's, it's sort of like saying that they mind their own business. They tend their own affairs. You ever had someone 
who doesn't do any work, but he's always telling other people how to do theirs. And he's always meddling in someone else's affairs. Why? Well, he's got all kind of time on his hands. And of course he doesn't make mistakes because he's not actually involved in doing anything. If you're a spectator in the stands, then of course you're not going to make mistakes. Hey, look, I'm the best quarterback in the world. I mean, I know what every quarterback ought to do. I'm just an expert on the game of football. Because I don't have to play. I can always judge after the fact. I've always got the replay. I'm not in the heat. I'm not in the cold. Well, there are some people who, who do this and, and they meddle in other people's affairs. And they become troublemakers. The Bible says you avoid this. And people should work and they should be diligent. Here's one more passage. And that is Ephesians 4 and verse 28. Ephesians 4 and verse 28. Productive labor, once again, can keep a person out of trouble. Ephesians 4.28, where Paul says, Let him that stole steal no more. That's the negative. Here's the positive. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. That's where the dignity of labor comes in. That he may have to give to him that needeth. So let's get into our passage in Proverbs chapter 6. And I gave you that background because throughout these verses, the writer of, Pro of Proverbs addresses the sluggard. And this Hebrew term is mentioned about 14 times in the book of Proverbs. And it's talking about a person who is slow to do anything. So think of that bottle of A1 sauce. Anybody like A1 sauce? I'm a big fan of A1. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, uh, I'll have a bottle of A1 sauce, and there's just a tiny bit in the bottom. Oh, no. You know, what are you going to do? And so you dump that bottle over, and what do you have to do? You have to wait. And then, you know, that one spot comes out of it. You're trying to shake as much as you can out of it. It just seems to, to flow very, very slowly. That's sort of like a sluggard. He has very little initiative. He has very little motivation. He is very, very slow to do anything productive. And he always has an excuse. He has an excuse to not to do it and to procrastinate and to put it off. There's some passive-aggressive behavior many times behind this. He's not going to tell you no, but he's just going to delay over and over again. Now, kids, don't do this with your parents. This is a big temptation with kids because most kids are not going to tell dad no. You're not going to tell mom no, but what you're going to do is to put it off as long as you can. Hey, take the trash out. And then half an hour goes by. The trash still isn't taken out. By then you've forgotten about it. Take the trash out when your parents tell you. Make that a priority in your life. 
But as adults, we need to take initiative of ourselves. We don't need to be like the sluggard. Now, it's one thing to be financially destitute because of bad decisions, and we saw this in verses 1 through 5. The writer of Proverbs warns us against co-signing for a person who is irresponsible. But it's a whole other thing to be financially destitute because you are lazy. Now, there are all kinds of reasons why you can find yourself in poverty. Sometimes it just comes, even when we're serving the Lord, even when we're working hard and we're trying our best. But here in this passage, it comes because a person is lazy and they are slothful. And what is the advice of the writer of Proverbs? You don't have to go to the mighty philosophers of this world to learn this lesson. He says, go to the little ant. Consider her ways and be wise. Back in South Carolina, we have fire ants. Do they have those here? Any fire ants? They came up from South America. And I know they, I guess they came up about a decade and a half ago. They just sort of migrated up to the southern United States. And I can tell you this, if you've ever been bitten by one, you'll remember it. You'll know the fire ant after that. Because it, uh, it bites you and, and the sore just seems to remain for days. But still, though, they're very, very industrious animals if you've ever watched them. Letter A, they demonstrate initiative. Verse 7, they have no guide, no overseer, or ruler. So the ant is a model of diligent labor. God has equipped this tiny animal with an instinctive sense of self-motivation. So you don't see one ant cracking the whip on another ant. But they each do what God has designed them to do. There is a caste system or hierarchy within the ant kingdom, but each ant performs its task without being forced to do so. For those of you who, employer, who are employers, don't you love to get a worker like this? A person who takes initiative. Now, sometimes that can go too far. But in many cases, it's something that is very, very welcome. A person who doesn't have to be told over and over again what to do. But they sort of start to track with you. They start to learn about what uh, pleases their employer, and they do it. That's the type of people that we should be as Christians. We ought to be people of initiative. And then letter B, there is diligence in verse 8. She provideth her food or meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. There are several species of ants in Israel who do this. They store grain in the winter. What the Bible is doing is commending hard work and initiative and planning. Gathering as there is opportunity. Now this is true in the physical realm. It's true in the spiritual realm as well. We have to be diligent spiritually in our walk with God. We have to be consistent in our walk with God. Do you have that time of Bible reading each day? 
when you are communing with God. And it's more than just a duty. Of course, we don't look at it as labor, but it can be laborious. There are times we may not feel like it. There are uh, situations where we may be rushed. And by the way, that's why we may need to plan better so that we do have time, so that we're not rushed in the morning. And maybe you do the bulk of your Bible reading later on in the day, but whenever it comes, we need to be consistent day in and day out. Prayer. Prayer can be laborious. It is a great privilege to go before the throne of grace. But at the same time, in our, with our sinful nature, we'll find a thousand excuses not to do it. And we can be slothful in our spiritual lives. The Puritans referred to these practices as spiritual disciplines. And that is a good term for them. You have to be disciplined. It doesn't just happen. You need to plan this, just like you would plan other things in your day. Sometimes we think, well, that's not exactly spiritual, is it? If I have to put it on my calendar and, and put a, a time on it? Well, it can be. Of course, we don't want it to be mechanical. But at the same time, we have to discipline ourselves to godliness. We saw this with Paul's admonition to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Godliness takes discipline. And as Paul told Timothy, bodily exercise profits little, but Godliness is profitable in all things. And so we need to cultivate that love for God, and that does take labor and work and discipline. Notice the second admonition. The first admonition was a lesson from nature. The second admonition is in the form of a question. That is, how long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? This is the second time that the sluggard is addressed. When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? How long are you going to miss the opportunities that God brings to you? How long are you going to waste your life doing nothing? We have to look at it that way as well. God is talking to all of us. What are the opportunities that God has given you? Now, you may not be literally sleeping, but you may be missing the opportunity that he has put in front of you by a lack of diligence. Maybe giving more time to entertainment than you do to his word or to serving him. Giving more time to watching television or movies than to prayer or to telling others about Christ or in serving the Lord in other ways. How long are we going to let these opportunities pass by? They will not be with us forever. We heard a good little message on this from Brother Larry Bell at, at the men's breakfast about being there when God calls and being available. And I can remember a, a, a sermon that my dad used to preach on the Ethiopian eunuch and how God told Philip to go and to join yourself to this chariot. And he did. 
And this Ethiopian eunuch was one to Christ. And my dad called the message an opportunity on wheels. And I, I still remember that. It was just burned into my memory. How many opportunities do we have that are passing and that are fleeting? Someone needs our help. And the Lord says, go. Give that person a tract. Give them a card with the church's name on it. But instead, you, you make an excuse to yourself. Well, I, I'm not sure I can do this or don't really have time and I, I feel rushed in this way. And You see, we make excuses and we miss the opportunities that God gives us. I can't read this verse, by the way, without thinking of Jonah. You remember when Jonah was asleep in the ship, thinking that he could run away from the Lord? And uh, the, the captain says something like, What doest thou, O sleeper? You know, why are you sleeping in the midst of a storm? I can't think of that without thinking of Jonah. God had a way of getting Jonah's attention and getting Jonah to do what he should be doing. So those are the first two admonitions. Then there is a third admonition, and this is in the form of a prediction. This is what's going to happen to a person who just refuses honest labor. In verse, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. And what's going to happen in verse 11 so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Uh, traveleth is, the one that traveleth here is, is uh, referring to some, something like a highway robber. Uh, the idea is that it sneaks up on you. A person has said that laziness sort of grows on you, and it begins with cobwebs and it ends in iron chains. Boy, that's like so many other things. You know, in the 1800s, they would uh, encounter people who were addicted to, to various substances. And in those days, it was different. Uh, opium uh, in the 1800s uh, in England and in other areas. And uh, many times they would, instead of saying addiction, they would say habitual indolence. And indolence is a, is a term for laziness, not doing anything. And, and really the two went together because once you're addicted to a drug, a lot of people cannot live a productive life. Now some people can actually do that. They can actually do both. And that's really more of a curse than a blessing. But anyway, uh, the two oftentimes go together. And so that way of life, of, of indolence, sort of grows on a person until it actually destroys them. It takes away their dignity. And so verses 10 and 11, and this is repeated in chapter 24, 33 through 34, it points up the danger of a person continuing to sleep when he ought to be working. He's taking a nap. And poverty will come on him suddenly in the same way a robber where an armed man quickly attacks an unsuspecting victim. I used to take people to work years ago, and I can remember that when I picked them up one time, 
they were complaining about one of the workers. And they said nobody could find him. You know, everybody else was working hard, but this guy just sort of disappeared into thin air. And finally, they discovered where he was. And the way they knew was they heard him snoring. And he was in the shrubbery. He had hid him, hidden himself in the shrubbery. And you could hear him snoring. Well, he was napping when he ought to have been working. Well, the Bible says that poverty will come upon a person who does that. And I think it's the same way with us spiritually. When we look at opportunities that the Lord has given us and suddenly they're gone. And so we're not just talking about poverty and the loss of material wealth. But we're talking about poverty in other ways. We're talking about loss of opportunity. There are things that we can do for Christ, and God brings us to a sort of crossroads. And he says, you have a choice to make. You can either sit on the achievements of the past and be satisfied and fat and full, or you can go forward for my honor and glory. You can do the work that I've called you to do. All of us have decisions in our lives like this. And so we have to be diligent in our work for the Lord. This includes something that's very, very practical in our everyday work. As Christians, we should be diligent because our testimony is on the line. Unsaved people are watching you. They're going to take note of how hard you work. It's going to make an impact upon them. And then spiritually as well, we should be steadfast in our work for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this practical instruction from your word. And Lord, we think of our Lord Jesus Christ and the labor that he did. Many times working all day and serving others and then praying all night and then going to the cross and undertaking that great task that he did so that we could be saved. And so I pray, Lord, that we would keep that in mind, that we would consider that he is our master and he is our Lord and we need to work for him. We also need to work while it is yet day because the night is coming when no one can work. And the opportunities that we have are going to be gone. So help us to be diligent in our labors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Jerry. All right, thank you, Pastor. If you would stand and turn in your hymnals to 670, we'll close with the first verse of Be Strong in the Lord.
Amen. Thank you, Joe. You may be seated. <clears throat> At this time, we're going to begin our information.